All right, here's the deal. I'm Tyler Norwood, and this is a podcast about nothing and everything. Honestly, I don't know what it's about. I figured I would just make it about all the things and people that inspire me and figure out the rest later. Internet Explorer used to be, right? Like you open too many tabs and then it just stops and you're like, oh, great. Like this, this is definitely not, yeah, I'm going to have to restart my computer. I think that kind of has happened to humanity to some degree, right? Um, it's just kind of information <laughs> to, overload. And you need just to like, turn it off and turn it back on again. We need to just restart it. We just need to restart it. Like this is just hit the restart, man. Control, alt, delete. So today's episode is with my good friend, Navi Singh. Navi is an entrepreneur, investor, researcher, and frequent accomplice in my adventures. We had a long winding conversation about the topic of innovation and how it has and hasn't made our lives better. The important question is innovation doing enough? So today we're going to talk about, uh, we were just talking about offline, how we've how innovation has been focused, what it's been working on, and really like what you brought up, which is a gripe that you said you had, uh, which is really like has innovation as a whole uh, been focused on the right thing? Um, So I guess, I mean, kind of where does it come from? Like where does the frustration about innovation and how it's being applied really come from for you? Yeah, so for for me, I I think... it kind of stems from my curiosities and interest in, in, in the hard sciences, right? And so kind of going from there to being involved in the startup entrepreneurial atmosphere, um, one thing that was very clear is that there is a huge focus and emphasis on innovation, but that innovation focus is, is in a very peculiar area, right? So we're innovating on how to build direct-to-consumer brands. And how we can, and then you, this is kind of the article that, um, that we discussed a little bit on how we can sell cheap razors more efficiently. (laughs) Right. And so it's like, it's like that, like in an era where we have one of the greatest innovations, uh, when we've sequenced the human genome, we've now found an effective method, um, you know, called prime editing, which is an iterative, um, better version of, of kind of CRISPR where we're able to very clearly and precisely um, edit human cells. And yet what we're innovating on is more efficient ways to deliver contacts and, and sunglasses to consumers. <laughs> and, but this, this sunglass is really, really cool because it can also serve as a bottle opener. And it's like, what, wait, yeah, like dude. what? Right. It's and in, so it's to me, yeah, and and I think the reason you can like jump, this you, really you can, gets you can jump up and down in your sunglasses because that's a, a feature that most people are begging their sunglasses to have. <laughs> exactly, and, but that, but that's like that's crazy, right? Because like the innovation is like okay, we're gonna cut costs because your glasses cost two hundred dollars, and we can give them to you for ninety nine. And people yeah. are like, tell me more. And so when I compare that, uh, and and this is the caveat being, I, I know there's a lot of people in the entrepreneurial space who are working on, on you know, what I like to like deep tech and, and sciences and hard questions um, that they're trying to address and hard problems they're trying to address. But I think the vast majority, the focus 
tends to be on these types of kind of direct-to-consumer methods or um, social media platforms or um, the sharing economy and and all of these kind of really, quote-unquote, innovative ways to utilize resources. But I think what that's done is turned away from from true innovation. And so, yeah, you know, I, I won't be verbose, but there, there's a kind of a deeper feeling because I grew up reading um, about Tesla and, and reading about some of these other scientists who, who were really, really amazing in what they were able to create. And what they were essentially waiting for was innovations in materials, right? So they would have these like brilliant um, inventions. Tesla is a great example, right? He, like there's, there's all these famous quotes about him describing cell phones and him describing wireless energy. And, and he's not the only one. He's perhaps the most famous one, but there are other individuals who are lesser known, right? Um, James Watt, who's pretty well known with the steam engine. I mean, think about the innovation there. Yeah. And today, I would argue that we have more raw tools and more, um, we can access information more readily. So like we have the tools to create something. We can get the instructions on how to create that by just accessing Google. And yet, what I can get you is a pair of sunglasses that can also open your beer. <laughs> and it's just like, you got to so be this, kidding me, man. So, so the article that we read, uh, Barons of Crap by Robin Kaiser Schatzlin, um in The Baffler. I thought it was great. I, I think I sent it to you a few months ago and have thought about it a lot. I think that it's mostly, what is the name of this book? Um, the billion dollar brand club. It's mostly a critique of this book, um, billion dollar brand club, uh, which was written about, I don't think it was written as a satire. I think it was written as like a real life account of like all these entrepreneurs who built basically consumer brands. So it focuses on Warby Parker, third love Hubble, um, Dollar Shave Club seems to be a big one. And I think what you and I agreed on that came through um, so clearly in this was the commentary and sort of the criticism of, of lauding all of this as, as innovation when the reality is is not. Like if you really look at the story behind it, it was like kids who went to prestigious schools and decided to build brands. Um, and those brands ended up being acquired by big conglomerates which uh, so what I, I think what's interesting what I want to hear from like so what I think about is I, I get that commentary so I think it's easy to like tear apart <clears throat> what's going on say like oh it's not innovative like um you know there's a couple avenues I think there's like a really reductionary avenue where it's like you know all this crap is is worthless all, all you're really doing it's it's really just advertising right like you're just building um, marginally better products or like derivative products and spending money on advertising and um, capturing new market share where all you're really doing is, is kind of updating uh, product categories to be like internet first, right? So you're disrupting like all of these really basic product categories to a population who are, you know, more and more so wanting to experience the internet and they want like a certain brand persona, um, and, and it's updating that way, which I get that criticism and commentary. And I think it's funny. Like, I, I think it's hilarious in this article. Um, there's so many funny quotes, which I really enjoy. Um, and 
But, and then there, there's another criticism, which I think is more serious and it's more based in science. I think Eric Weinstein talks about this and, and Peter Thiel has talked about it before as well. Um, and they obviously work together. So it makes sense that they say basically the exact same thing, but it's this thought experiment of like, if you walk into a room and there's no computer screens, how do you know it's not 1970s besides the aesthetic, right? Like it's, it's exactly whatever they design. And the commentary is kind of like since the 60s, like basically no real scientific innovations have happened. So let's take those two critiques. And I think what's interesting for me is, is it completely true? So like those are fair critiques. I think there's like plenty of uh, data behind both of them. And you can tell, um, I think really funny stories about innovation and obviously like a a whole part of Silicon Valley has become a farce in and of itself. Like the show, there's a lot of successful writers who basically just make fun of Silicon Valley and like how ridiculous it all is. So that's really mainstream. Where does it kind of fall on the spectrum? So that's fair, fair criticism. So I guess if you ask the question, have we innovated anything that's really, really changed the world in the last, let's say, 20 years? Um, what, what is it? Because there's another side to that argument, which was, yeah, it's easy to kind of overlook all of the things that we've invented and, and, and have changed people's lives, like the Internet. Um, so I guess trying to have kind of a rounded understanding or opinion of, like, the both sides of that argument. Yeah, so that's a, that's a, that's a great point, and that's kind of why I gave the caveat that I, I know there are people working on this, right? I guess my uh, complaint here really isn't that there is there is zero innovation in areas of focus or, or kind of paradigm shifting technologies, and um, you know, moving humans uh, to to another level. Um, like the internet's a great example, right? Yeah. Um, and and I, as I mentioned, CRISPR, I, I think. The, the the gripe that I really have is the focus uh, on on innovation or which segments, right? So it, you're absolutely right that there have been incredible uses of human creativity to develop incredible solutions, right? I mean, we we sequence the human genome, right? That like we 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 deciphered the code uh, by which we are written as as organisms. Yeah. You know that is not a small feat. That that is fundamentally like paradigm shifting. And then beyond that, that has enabled you know pharmaceutical firms and some of these other it, it, you know institutions and entities to really explore what can we do and what can we isolate. So like let's not forget, you can go and get tested whether your child is is prone to a particular disease, right? And and so it's not readily accessible. And that is my that's where I kind of. Um, have an issue, right? Where I, I think it, innovation should be focused on utilizing the tools that we have created over the last several years, several, you know, past few decades, and, and be innovating on that front. There should these tests shouldn't be, you know, there's an eighty thousand dollar test you can get in the state of New York, which basically kind of covers every disease or every issue that you might come up with in regards to kind of, you know, uh, procreating and what your child may or may not have. Um, that shouldn't cost eighty thousand dollars. You know, there should be several individuals kind of innovating and, and working on products like that. Um, people should be editing with with CRISPR left and right. People yeah. should be utilizing to make you know people's lives better. Yeah. And, and I know this this sounds a bit like um, you know like 
preaching from like, you know, uh, on a pedestal, like people aren't doing enough. But, but I think that's true, right? Where I, I think the internet has enabled and, and mobilized a lot of, of growth in, especially in emerging markets. You go to places like India, um, you know, their social distancing, for example, is a great, it, it is a great, great um, case study, right? So what you've seen in emerging markets just in this pandemic is um, social distancing. India created this app that they were able to send out these alerts that we were able to kind of do contact tracing. They were able to alert people on what to do and what not to do. And this is a country that has, you know, obscene amounts of poverty and yet everyone has access or a large, you know, percentage of the population, um, relatively speaking, has access to these smartphones and, and internet. And so they were able to download the app and disperse this information very, very quickly. Like that's a brilliant use of, of the internet, uh, of, uh, you know, form factor changes in, in the cellular devices like that. That is awesome. But I just wish that that was kind of the core focus. And I feel like the U.S. in particular has has fallen away from that. And that and you and I kind of discussed this earlier as well. Right. Where um, I think where we went from kind of a manufacturing um, innovative society to, to really be more a, of a services industry focused um, country and not to get too deep into kind of the details, but the, the Department of Labor's Bureau of Labor Statistics had has monthly employment data all the way back to 1939, right? And and if you look at that data, which I have, because that's what I consider fun, um, <laughs> it, the, the employment numbers since nine, in 1939, if you compare service industries versus manufacturing, are, are mind-boggling. It's literally like a split where like one thing is just like growing exponentially and the other and, and the other is kind of stable, right? And that unfortunately the the one the, the line that's stable is manufacturing, right? And, and the line that's continuously growing is, you know, all service industry focused. Yeah. So, and, and so that well, how do you how, like how does how does that um because because we discussed this this other article, um, what is it? The yeah, COVID nineteen has blown apart the myth of Silicon Valley innovation. David Rotman, and I think one of the big things he discusses is like we've essentially gutted our ability to manufacture anything in the United States, um, which COVID has shown to be somewhat of a problem. I think probably a big problem. Um, and created not only like massive supply chain issues, but geopolitical problems. So what do you, like, so, so it's like we're frustrated with innovation and we talk about, you know, how do, how do you make it better? We should be focusing on like making the world a better place, et cetera. Like what, what do you feel like, what went wrong? Uh, where did we kind of lose our way? So, uh, you know, that's a good question. Unfortunately, I, I, I don't think that I'm, I'm smart enough to come up with the answer, but, but yeah. one of the key things that, that I've noticed is I think we as a society have kind of gone, or, you know, as a society, we in the entrepreneurial landscape and um, in industry have become very, very risk averse, right? We're optimizing for profits. I mean, this is kind of true for recently we were talking about this, the, the, the liquidity crunch, uh, might happen due to the the pandemic and we're talking about how um you know a lot of corporations 
spent the funding that they had on um, buybacks, right? Which which artificially inflated their their earnings per share yeah. instead of R and D. Yeah. And to me, like that, that's criminal because I think losing the ability to really, really, truly scale ideas in a manufacturing sense damages the capacity to innovate, right? Yeah. Um, and this goes along with like productivity growth. Like, it, you know, our, we always talk about this debt, uh, the, you know, we've got X trillion amounts uh, of, of debt, and then you have this kind of like polarized political debate around it. I think what really matters is debt to GDP ratio. And I think in order for you to actually look at the details and think, okay, how can we fix some of the fundamental problems? You need to address like how much of a focus is R&D for larger corporations, for Fortune 500 companies? Um, and then how risk averse are we, right? Like um, there, there are some really, really great revolutions like AI, artificial intelligence systems, um, autonomous vehicles. Auto- autonomous vehicles, I would say, are kind of, the same, same sort of leap, uh, maybe even a bigger leap going from horses to kind of cars, right? Like going from a horse to a, a horse and buggy to a Model T, it, it, I think is, is, you could argue it might be a smaller gap uh, compared to going from, you know, your current whatever Ford or Honda to a, a fully autonomous vehicle. But yeah. there's a lot of risk. We're, we're very gun shy. We're, it's risk averse because people, maybe it's education systems, maybe it's fear mongering, maybe it's sensationalized journalism. And, and part of the internet has enabled kind of a 24 hour news cycle. So people don't look at the data as it, as it really, really stands, right? So you had a case in New Mexico where there was an accident and the car, you know, hit someone and, and the person unfortunately did not make it. But if you look at the total number of miles driven, by that autonomous vehicle and what was one accident compared to the average driver or, or, you know, just a human driver driving that many miles and how many accidents the human driver has, the machine is way better. Yeah. But what did we do in response to that accident? They shut the program down. Yeah. Uber had to get out. Uh, Waymo had to get out. They just couldn't do it. Uh, they, they couldn't function because state legislation uh, was all up in arms because the Local pub uh, journalists were like, "Oh, you know, this machine is you killed a human because it's not as good as a human." It's like that's not true. You have to look at the data. Yeah, well, it's and not, so it's for like me, not, I think it's not relative, right? <clears throat> yeah, and, and and to me, to answer your question, um, what where do you where do I think we went wrong? I, I think we went wrong where like the the services industry and the education level and and the gap in truly valuing factual data and factual information. Um, that I think is what ironically has created this like stratification where like you have people who are really, really into the sciences and really understand the data. And then other people who are spreading conspiracy theories about how the earth is flat. It's (laughs) 2020 and there are societies where the earth is like, we can, we can see it. We can see the roundness. We have people in space and there are still arguments where professional athletes are tweeting about how the earth is flat. Like (laughs) if it was flat, I would jump, Dude, I, if it was flat, I would jump off of it after reading that tweet where it's like, you got it. Are you for real? So like, to me, like that's where saw, we were wrong. It's like the risk. I saw a tweet today and it was like uh, <laughs> flat earthers are actually just playing everyone to get free trips to space. <laughs> to yeah, to bro, I hope so. Dude, I, I hope, I hope to God that that is the case. Um, but like, you know, there's this, it, it's really funny, right? I, I think from a, um, 
maybe it's like a neuroscience thing or it's probably more like a psychology thing where getting access to a ton of information somebody like me i I think naively thought that it would if you if i give you a hundred books where you only had one book i would think that you would become you would get you know uh, 10 times more information if not 100 times more information give it you know if the books are all different and full of unique information turns out that's not what actually happened no for for the average person the capacity to process information is relatively static Right. And also, weirdly enough, your interest. Well, right? like, people just don't much, like there's a um, <clears throat> I want to say it's Carl Sagan. If it's not Carl Sagan, then whatever. But uh, it, it was like a, you did the math behind like if you read uh, every hour for a day, you'd be able to read like a couple like close, maybe a thousand books in your whole life. But, but probably significantly less than that. Like uh, the average person probably reads. Honestly, dude, in the United States, I think the average person probably reads end to end less than a hundred books in their whole life, for sure. Like, yeah, not, not not counting textbooks. And and his point was like, you know, that is, you know, less than a tenth of a percentage point of the you know all the library that we have, etc. So. I think what's interesting there is the, the the capacity to process information doesn't change. And so if you have this like typhoon of data and information, I, and we're seeing this now, I think it seems like what happens is people become way, way, way more biased in their existing beliefs because it's very easy to access information that supports those beliefs versus you know, before we had like this unlimited access to information, if you had like a really edge belief, right? Like say you had like a really marginal belief, it was probably super hard, like really hard to find any literature that supported that belief. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if you thought yeah. the earth was flat, right? It was probably pretty hard to find a book in the library in Columbus, Ohio, that was like, it's definitely flat. You're definitely <laughs> onto something. You should definitely sign up to this newsletter. We will continue to provide you information about why the earth is flat. <laughs> but what's happened now is it's like, I think the earth is flat. And you go online, you're like, the earth is flat. And it's like, here's a hundred thousand other people that also think the earth is flat. And you're like, fucking right. It's definitely I- flat. We figured it out. So it like, it entrenches people and, and and that's like what you were saying is like <laughs> i honestly think it has the opposite effect like it makes people way less open minded because you can cherry pick whatever you want like you have access to everything no matter whether it's real or not and yeah you like you, you just fall into this rabbit hole where like everyone's an extremist about something because they can find other people who think they're right on the internet yeah, it, it, but that's exactly right. And and what what I really think is ironic <laughs> is the amount of research people do to Zero. confirm what they <laughs> believe, their conspiracy. It's like if you did 10% of that to actually ask the questions and go to like a, a an objectively reliable source, right? Like go to like a university book where where you can learn about well, um, I don't know whatever you believe in. It doesn't work that way. We're not, we never built social protocols to have to research things like in a, 
in an in-person network of information, uh, there there's built-in protocol to keep bad ideas from spreading, right? Like people get banished or yeah. like the crazy guy or whatever. And it's like, oh, well, don't listen to anything that guy says because he's crazy. And you're like, all right, well, that guy thinks the earth is flat. It probably isn't because he's been sort of eggs or he's at least been like intellectually separated from the rest of the group, but the internet doesn't have any of those protocols. Like it, 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 it's almost the opposite where you have, like I think about Reddit subreddits, but also there's just like all these corners of the internet where you go in there and you're shielded from the rest of the world saying like, this is not correct. And there's just a bunch of people saying like, yeah, we're definitely onto something. We, yeah, we like, finally oh, figured yeah. out the secret. The world's definitely flat. And then you get sucked into it. So it's like, who? Like, no, humans aren't humans aren't My meant favorite. to have to do a bunch of research to figure out what's right and wrong. Like from an evolutionary standpoint, that's a very new challenge. Like literally within but, the last 50 years, that's become a challenge. Yeah, but, but what, one of my, so, okay, I, I think one of my frustrations can be summarized by my favorite meme during this pandemic. And that was some, I think it was some guy, great. He goes, guys, uh, all of the research publications and world-renowned scientists are telling me that this is really dangerous. But that one kid from high school who is still living with his mom in the basement is telling me that this is all a conspiracy theory. So not sure what to believe here. <laughs> and, and to me, it's just like, like that, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like th- that guy, like, it, I think that kind of sums it up. Right. Because so, like, there. Do, do you think it's that, like, yeah. do you think that's a huge, so, okay. So what we potentially have a somewhat intellectual argument for is that the internet is actually slowing down innovation. So if you wrap these two things that we've been talking about together, it is, you know, innovation is like really unfocused and it's kind of lost its way or whatever. Two sides of that argument. Um, I think there's a lot of things that technology has done that has changed our life, but there's obviously a lot of things that it's like clearly made our life work. Like that's the interesting thing is like, what are, what's the cigarettes of our generation, right? Where it's like, we do think every generation has things where like, this is the best. And then like, you know, 50 years later, they're like, well, this is the reason you're all dying. And like, you yeah. know, yeah. and so it's like, what's but, that for? And like the n- no generation ever notices it. Right. No one's like, Hey, this could be our thing. And I think for us, it's like, pro- it's, it, it has to be something. It's either like sugar for sure. Um, but from a mental perspective, it's like definitely the internet or some portion of the internet or something that the internet has created. We're like, they're going to look back and they'll be like, geez, these guys were barbarians. I can't believe that they just like let their kids be on social media or, or, or whatever it is. So it's, it's, it's yeah. like innovation. Okay. So the two points are like in, innovation is not, and I want to come back to that. Cause it's like, I think that's interesting. Like innovation is not really helping us live better lives very much. And then the second point, which I think wraps in, like you, you can make a pretty strong argument for this is like one of the main reasons is the internet. Right. And the, the, sorry, I missed the connective tissue there is what you said is like, we become very gun shy. So we become like very, very risk averse. And I I would argue that like, it's not necessarily just risk aversion. I think it's just really, 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 really hard to get people to believe in like objective truth. We're like, Hey, objectively, like real science with data, self-driving cars are safer than humans. And people are like, well, 
Yeah, no, I don't know about all that. That guy in Arizona yeah. died. <laughs> and it's like, well, uh, and then you have to shut the program down. So like you could make a pretty compelling argument that the internet is actually slowing down useful innovation in areas that involve risk, that involve, you know, there's, there's, there's cost to innovate. I mean, you know, the cost of innovation is yeah. a nuclear bomb. Right. Uh, and, and, and so the internet has kind of forced innovation to be like super safe and derivative. We're like, let's just make our glasses better. But <laughs> so I think that's, I, I think that's actually a pretty astute observation. Right. I, 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 actually, I, yeah, I, I think I, I agree with that notion because what ends up happening is turns out you not only, it's like you, you need, you need directionality along with data. Right. And so you can give people kind of just a random pile of data, which is essentially what the internet does. I'm like, here you go. And turns out that humans are not very good at, at shifting through that data and finding value uh, across the board. And I'll give you two examples of that. One anecdotal at, that's at a micro level um, and then one at a macro level. At a micro level, I went in to get a haircut and <laughs> the lady asked me what did, what I did. And I told her, um, you know, I was like, hey, uh, I head up technology, uh, you know. Um, I thought you meant like that's <laughs> <I thought> literally. <laughs> I thought you meant like, what did you do to your hair? She's like, what did you? What do you do? Like, what did you do? <laughs> in this, what is in this? this it's probably, probably true. No, it's like, but she, so it, it's exactly equally funny. She goes, so I've got a question for you. You sound like you're, you sound like you're smart. Um, and just the way she said it, and I was like, oh no. Oh, and she goes, she goes. So what do you think about this whole global warming business? <laughs> and I was like, uh, I was like, what do what do you mean? And long story short, she like didn't believe in it. Surprise! Um, and she thought that it was like George Soros funded. And I said, I said, you know, like I just you should look at the data that, that you know, if if ninety seven percent or ninety nine percent of scientists come to one conclusion and then one percent come to a different conclusion, it's it's just because this data is peer reviewed, um, you probably want to dig into the data and look at you, look at it yourself. But you can generally assume that ninety seven percent of scientists are right, right? Because it's data backed; it's not opinion based. And her, and I said that, and her response was like, "Yeah, but you have to figure out who's paying those scientists." <laughs> and it was like everything I said was was this like conspiracy driven thing. Where like at the end of it. I I was just like okay I was like let's just look at kind of from a, a very large scale macro level like the and and I told her, I was like you know the last few years isn't it kind of peculiar that that we have um, every year is the hottest year on record and I was like and then think about it this way we have a closed bottle right like closed ecosystem the earth and now you introduce new things so we're taking dead dinosaurs from the ground and we're burning them up putting them up in the sky. And so these dinosaurs in the sky are, are, are a unique and new thing in this like just little bottle that we have. And if you shake it up, obviously that's going to create, you know, other consequences. And her response, she was like, I don't know. I just feel like your fancy university's got to you. You have to really look at stuff. And I was just like, what does that, I don't know what that means. Yeah. And then but, like, I mean, that, to that, so here's the, the, I think that I've been down in North Carolina for two months now, so I'm getting um, so much perspective on the U.S. But 
So I think there's an underlying issue there, which is not just like a gap in intellectual understanding of something and her saying like, oh, I don't believe in science, whatever. I, I think that for a massive amount of country, and, and this is, I think, where a lot of the problem stems, is they don't trust the institutions. And they have a lot right. of reason not to, right? Because when you're like hey, like 99% of scientists say this is true. It's like, all right, well, like, I don't fucking know who the scientists are. Like, scientists have told us a bunch of things that ended up being lies. So, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like there's an underlying distrust of the institution. And the same with, like, your com- like the comment on your university. It's like, oh, you've just been, like, indoctrinated by this, like, right. academia dark web that's, like, teaching you all these lies. And so it's less an issue well, it's kind of an issue of intelligence, but it's like underlying that there is a really, really pervasive and very dangerous mistrust of institutions that are supposed to be pushing innovation forward. Where if you know you you you, you can't get better than you know ninety nine percent of scientists saying like, hey, this is a thing. Like the data says so. Like you can't do better. It can't. There's there's no more objectivity than that. Like you just can't possibly yeah, so, be more objective. But the problem is people don't trust that body and they're like, nah, still no. Yeah. And, and I actually, so th- this is, this is controversial. I actually think um, people who say they're like, oh, okay, well, this is just an issue of intelligence. Like, I don't think this person that I spoke to or got my hair, you know, the, the, the lady that cut my hair, I, I don't think she's dumb. No. So I was just trying to get, so I think it's an issue of directionality. Right. So what was fascinating to me is that she had clearly read a lot of articles. They just happened to be articles about how George Soros is the devil pulling the puppet, the, you know, is the puppet master and, and and changing and damaging the world and getting people to believe in. Like like she quoted some like, you know, there was like 10 different people that she referenced in, in her responses to me. So it was just like, man, if you could just focus like that level of intelligence you have, like focus on like knowing how to read a, a academic paper and looking at the data yourself. But you're right. That stems from actually not um, having a trust in, 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 these institutions. Yeah. But well, so the second example, just, just well, quickly, yeah. the second example was it's K a uh, macro level is, I don't know if you remember in 2016, KAI, the Microsoft um, uh, AI chatbot. No. Okay. So they, so Microsoft, put out um, an experiment. They wanted to, it's it like, you know, one of the leading uh, experiments in, in conversational uh, understanding regarding NLP. Um, so they introduced Tay.ai um, onto Twitter. And this bot, this chat bot, was supposed to interact with humans, like, you know, like kind of pass the Turing test, like interact with humans as if like a human would. And then it was using deep learning. So it was supposed to learn how to interact, right? So based on the data being fed on Twitter, it was going to learn more things about humanity. And then that was going to give it, quote unquote, a personality, right? And so what was, uh, what was really cool, like it's a cool idea, within 24 hours, it went from humans are really cool and I'm here to have fun to full racist Nazi. <laughs> like the chat bot started. I'm not joking. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's just like, uh, I'm just going to act like the normal human acts. <laughs> One of the tweets from the, like, like it, it went in. 
was die and burn in hell was like a quote that Kate, the the artificial intelligence chatbot sent out and, and like i think its first tweet um was something about like humans are super cool and then and and this the one i just quoted like about hating feminists wasn't even the word like there were quotes about admiration for hitler there were quotes about like how um you know brown people are this and black people are that like i mean this they was like, 24 hey. hours <laughs> it's like, it's like, the, like 2 a.m in the morning like bill gates like hey bill uh <laughs> have you <laughs> checked the robots twitter it's getting pretty crazy <laughs> yeah but like my one of my one of the funniest things they did actually this is, this is actually no for a at around 2 a.m the the bot tweeted in all caps we're going to build a wall and mexico is going to pay for it that's awesome like that's so the, the bot, it literally the just became it. robot donald trump <laughs> yeah no it did and it, it, do, you, do you know what ended up happening Within within twenty four hour period, Microsoft a... <laughs> Microsoft shut it down, and then this is the best part: they had to go and start cleaning up and actively deleting all the tweets that the bot had sent out. And yeah. then they're like, "Oh, oh yeah, sorry about that." Sorry, but it was like just doing it, a but, quick experiment. Yeah. So it turns out, but what's really funny about that is is, is like the comments in them themselves. But what's really interesting about it is that this. AI chatbot learned from humans like it 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 said, and then it started so it also it, they, within its rant there were also conspiracy theories right so like but what is that it, sorry what was it called it's called k.ai tay.ai just look up microsoft oh, ai chatbot gotcha tbot that's so funny yeah, it's, it's fascinating, and it was kind of like it, it, I think the handle was K and U, and it looks like yeah, it was called K Tweet. Um, so I mean, this is a so this is a I mean, <clears throat> this could be a good example too of like you know in the sixties, science got us to the point where we can destroy all of humanity, and like basically, like the rest of. So it's interesting to think, so we have the internet theory, which is like the internet is slowing down innovation by basically just making, like biasing, giving everyone unlimited access to information to support whatever beliefs they have, right? It's like actually making people way more closed-minded. Um, we've got distrust of the institutions, which I think is real, um, and for good reason, right? Like how many times have scientists lied to us? We're like, hey, sugar's great, fat is bad. And then 20 years later, you're like, oh, the entire country has diabetes. <laughs> like the, 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 the damage that's been done by the institutions is is it's it's irrevocable. Like there's no coming back from the loss of trust. But I think there's, at least in my mind, we can probably find a couple others. There's, there's another one, which is basically every principle of science not including physics, physics has already passed a line. So every principle of science has a line where <laughs> we, we basically like, we just become too powerful and physics passed that line. So we figured out how to create, you know, thermonuclear weapons. And then we use them. We were like, uh, shit, like this is way too much responsibility for us. And 
we kind of reverted, right? So like everything, you know, got shut down. Um, and then there was, you know, a lot of research that continued, but everyone was like really scared. And like, uh, you can make an argument that like every other principle of science, you know, biology is at a point now where like the next big step in biology is definitely, if we're not already there, right, is going to give us the ability to edit genes, to create like insane bioweapons, right, to create viruses, like the next, so, and in chemistry, the same thing. And um, so I think there could be also this unseen force that's like really dampening down true scientific innovation because like we don't want to know what's on the other side of like the next step of research um we just can't handle it like we're just not smart enough so if you combine those things where it's like the internet is making us all so dumb and people don't trust the institutions for good reason and then like the next order of magnitude in almost any scientific principle is like the ability to destroy humanity. It's like, yeah, we should definitely not do that. Like we should just make glasses less expensive. (laughs) So so, uh, all we've learned really in this is that the reason we're innovating the way we are doing it because the alternative is blowing everything up. No, seriously. Um, And it's like everything like, and, and that's the thing. And then, I mean, you could also add on top of the point that like we've built this like massive industrial military complex, which is literally weaponizing any scientific innovation, which is like self-driving cars. Do you mean self-driving IEDs? So I experienced this firsthand. We were, and you know about the startup that we built. So spent a bunch of time inventing this really cool device that was capable of analyzing uh, heat flow out of buildings. And we could tell what building was energy efficient versus, uh, you know, inefficient. And so we did this through infrared cameras. And we got approached by the uh, a, uh, by Vancouver and then a few this to Canada and test it out. Do you know one of the biggest issues that we had was getting the infrared cameras across the border because infrared cameras at, at large scale are only utilized for military purposes. So there is a huge like regulation, you know, loop of uh, process that you have to go through because we took infrared uh, and we definitely made sure that we use it in a like weaponized yeah. way. So well, now like even it... people trying to innovate, yeah. they can't because they're like, well, 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 what are you going to use it for guns? And I'm like, dude, in Vancouver, what are you we're like? No, we're we're doing heat flow analysis. And the guy looked at me like he was, he was like, well, you know, there's like regulations just that we have to kind of do blah blah blah. And like we basically had to. It, this is kind of funny because we're coming full circle. We basically had to take advantage of the fact that if we told them that the cameras were something else, they wouldn't know the difference. And that's exactly what we did. So instead of waiting like, three months for approval, we're like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, literally, we're like, uh, yeah, so we're going up here for research. Like, what are those? Just research thingy me yeah. like, all right. Research it's complicated. There's <laughs> like, uh, okay, well, yeah. So it's, um, but, like, but there's it's, not it's any true, weed right? in, there's not any weed in there, is there? Like, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no, no, all right, all right, you're, you're good to go. And I think what you touched, just to, I want to circle back on one thing that you mentioned about the distrust in institutions. Um, and I think the, the reason that there, 
there is um, this distrust and it's actually validated if you look at historical like misinformation and campaigns is unfortunately, and as a VC, I shouldn't probably say this, it's probably the, the guru cause is probably capitalism, right? Because it was motivated, like people were driven to make sure that they don't fat free or so fats are, are demonized instead of sugars, right? Like there's actually data on this that you can look up how people changed the focus that like all the diseases were being caused by fats instead yeah, of sugars. Right. Like the, and the, then the sugar lobby attack on fat was like well documented. Yeah. And so, so to me, it's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. So like instead of, and now we've gotten to a place where, you know, you have the left and the right quote unquote, uh, you know, demonizing one another and one is called out of touch and the other one's called just kind of like, you know, dumb, which I think neither is true. Like they're not dumb. It, it, that's, they're being cautious because they've gotten burned before. Right. And so now what ends up happening is there's nobody that's looking at this from a, an objective, I would say scientific angle. And the people that are leading in terms of our government, um, are also people who are very, very ill-informed, right? Like, yeah. uh, and, you know, the, the one guy was, what was, I forget the guy's name, but he was questioning, um, he was questioning Facebook and he was just like, well, so, so how do you make money on the Facebook? <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the it Senate like, hearing. Uh, yeah, it was like, wait, <laughs> this is, he is responsible for, like, <laughs> leading us like or did you just ask how you make on the facebook like get out of here man and, and so like that's what ends up uh, happening like both I, sides are justified i had a friend in singapore who had a shirt it was like facebook blue and it said ads comma senator it was like ads like what are you talking about man uh, yeah, like, i thought you guys were gonna ask like, real questions <laughs> like yeah like, what is facebook like, but what's really what would, would have been really interesting if somebody interviewed that senator afterwards and and asked him because I'm I'm guessing that his response would have been like well it turns out that they buy billboards and that's how they make their money <laughs> yeah. it was like that like, there's no I mean, way he knew what like that well but also like that whole hearing there was like a palpable sense of like every every senator in that hearing knew that Facebook was one of the main platforms that they campaigned on. Or if they yeah. didn't know that, like their campaign team was sitting behind the scenes, like don't say anything dumb. Like that's the only reason that you get elected is because we run Facebook ads. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of uh, like maybe a fourth point or a derivative of the third of like the 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 danger of innovation, which is like I think in- innovation is um, amoral, right? Like innovation in and of itself doesn't have a moral compass. There's it's it's blank. Yeah. And humanity has the ability to apply negative or positive applications equally. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like there's a huge, pri- I mean, think about the internet, right? Like the internet has changed the world. It's revolutionized how we live. It's created all these new things. It's also created like a lot of bad things, like a ton of bad things. Um, oh yeah. Like a, a really lot of bad things. Probably like uh, I would say over, I mean, it would be interesting to do the math here, but to take a technology and somehow quantify positive impact, negative impact. And like over time, it probably nets out like net zero, which is like, yeah, it's like basically the same. So, I mean, take fission, 
or fusion? Which one do we figure out? Fission, right? Splitting atom? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, so it's we like, all right, great. We figured out nuclear weapon, really bad. And it was like we did all the really bad stuff in one period and just concentrated it. <laughs> and then also, but it's like, okay, we have like thermonuclear reactors, which provide clean energy or whatever. Like those two things probably net out to zero, right? So that's, I yeah. guess, that, that, that may be one of the most compelling arguments where it's like, there's no one specifically to blame. Like I, you know, cause I, I I'm not a Silicon Valley sympathizer. I, I really like, like <laughs> I'm a big Elon fan. I think his tweet was like, he called it sanctimonious Valley is the funniest thing ever, which is like during COVID, <laughs> like just this sense of moral, um, just, just like, I don't even know how you, but, sanctimoniousness, right? Like I think this is the best word. Um, and I don't think so. So if, if you, if you zoom it back there where it's like, there is actually a lot of fear from citizens. There's a lot of fear from the institutions. Um, there's a lot of fear from regulatory bodies of innovation in general. And it's like well-founded fear, right? Like when, you know, you, you think about all of the forces that are holding back blockchain, AI, genetic engineering, right? CRISPR, whatever, like a lot. So I think there's a couple narratives. You can say like, oh, well, it's like incumbent industries, right? It's like it's the pharmaceutical industry is holding it back because they don't want to lose their profits. Sure, yeah. I mean, that's true. That's proven to be true. Like there's lobby and there's incumbent companies that try to hold yeah. back innovation. But it, it, any true innovation that, that improves the world, like th- there's only a, a, a limited period of time where that can work. But I think there's an underlying fear of like we don't know what's on the other side of genetically modifying humans. Like we 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 don't, or we don't know what's on the other side of, um, like general artificial intelligence. And we've done this before, and it usually doesn't end up super well. Or at least like the good is a lot of times countered by the bad that comes out of it. Um, so. I, I mean, I find that to be a much more interesting and compelling argument. They're like, it's Silicon Valley's fault, or it's like some specific group of people's fault. Like they're sitting around and being like, let's make sure the world never gets better. I, I, I don't believe in that. I, I think that. I, I don't believe in that either. I, I don't think I, anyone I think like wakes up in the morning, like, I'm going to make the world a worse place. Like, yeah, there are a few people, but um, in general, I don't think anyone's really motivated by that. I think. There's an incentive system which has kind of veered us to the point of like true innovation is really scary. And there's a lot of not only is it scary, but the people who are brave enough to go into it, a lot of them get stamped out by people who are scared. So it's like even if you're not scared, there's enough infrastructure in place that will stop you from making any progress, whether it's regulatory bodies or PR. I mean, think about autonomous driving, right? It's like, think about all the hurdles that you have to go through. It's like, oh man, like we had a car and it killed a guy and now it's like this PR nightmare and we have to shut the whole project down. Like I really truly believe in making the world a better place by, you know, providing true autonomous driving to humans. And this like one hiccup, like we're, we're shut down, like we're out, there's no more funding. That's, yeah. I, I like that. I mean, I like, I can, I, I can buy, I can buy that explanation. I, I think all of the other things that we pointed out are factors as well, but 
I do like that explanation where like humanity has an underlying awareness that like we're definitely not ready. Like we are children in a laboratory and we're just like mixing shit up and we blew we blew ourselves up once and now we're super scared to mix things again. A combination of that and then systemic, I don't know if it's ignorance or lack of understanding or being kind of overloaded, right? Like yeah. it's like back what um, Internet Explorer used to be, right? Like you open too many tabs and then it just stops. And you're like, oh, great. Like this, this is definitely not, yeah, I'm going to have to restart my computer. And I think that kind of has happened to humanity to some degree, right? Um, it's just kind of information <laughs> to, overload. And we need just, to like, turn it off and turn it back on again. We need to just restart it. We just need to restart it. Like this is just hit the restart, man. Control, alt, delete. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's exactly right, right? I think one thing I will say, like Elon Musk outside of his like tweets and all that, like the, the thing that I, I really like about him and I actually had the, um, uh, like, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to kind of meet him and, and, and be able to have a conversation with him is, is his, the way he thinks he's, he's not afraid to take these like dramatic risks. And I think they seem really dramatic. If you look at the current landscape, they don't seem that dramatic. If you take a look at the, the actual availability of of innovative materials and advances in human civilization right like when you when you talk about like autonomous vehicles for example it's like whoa that's wild but if you really think about it all the sensors we have available to us the form factors of those sensors between lidar and infrared and um you have all of that and the connectivity and power management and the ability to power vehicles like that you take all of that and you combine it with the fact that you can now effectively use AI and computer vision to, to bring all of that into a vehicle, gather that data through these sensors, process that data through cheaper processing power and, and, and more readily available processing power that's you know, um, in, in, in the cloud, yeah. right? So it's easily accessible. So all of these innovations that we have have enabled us to actually make autonomous vehicles a very, very plausible thing, right? So it's it's not actually that that like crazy mind blowing of a concept, but it's because you have to look at the innovation from a materials advance, you know, materials advancing on sensors advancing on like what humanity is actually contributing in the sciences. And I think guys like Elon see that. Like I truly don't think he, uh, you know, I, I I I should put it the other way. I think he he sees autonomous vehicles as the natural progression. It's like, why wouldn't I do this? Yeah, right. Like, of course it makes sense. Like, I've I have a horse and buggy, and I have a now I have a car. Of course I'm going to take the car. Well, I have a car, and I have an automated robot car that can take. Of course I should take that. Yeah. Like, and I think I really really value that. But yeah. unfortunately, the the senators, the the leaders, and un, and also unfortunately, like some of the Fortune 500 leaders aren't of that ilk they they don't look at the under they're just like okay well we got some money should we spend it on r&d it's like you're crazy let's just buy back you know stock buybacks and well and also i I think it's 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 not just about the r&d i think like you hit on a point which i think would be really interesting to explore just like he like uh, elon has a uh, sense of irreverence right he just like doesn't care right and he's like yeah out like (laughs) he's like 
last week tweeting like Tesla stock price is too high and the the stock tank like fifteen percent. It's like no, like you can't you can't yeah. do that. He just doesn't I care. I think it's a combination of he yeah. doesn't care. He's like not aware. I think what it makes me think of is um Al, uh, I think his name's Alex Honnell, the guy who cli- climbed L Cap with no rope. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They like they, they they did all these experiments on him and they they did an MRI in his brain, and he has like a drastically reduced amygdala, right? So his mm-hmm. like reptilian fear center is way smaller than a normal human, almost to the point of being like dysfunctional. Um, and mm-hmm. that is, I mean, what they establish kind of softly, I think, because it's not the point, like the, the, the point of the documentary they did about him is like just what humans can accomplish and how awesome and beautiful it is. They kind of softly reference it, but I think it's a major factor where it's like, this guy has a genetic propensity to do yeah. crazy things that other humans physically could not do. Like it's not a matter of somebody getting strong enough. Or when I say physically, I mean mentally that, yeah, it's absolutely. not just a matter of being strong enough to do what he can do. Cause I'm sure there are plenty of people who are as strong as him. It's literally having like the brain chemistry to be able to do that and not freak the fuck out. And yeah. I think it would be super interesting to do very similar to Elon Musk and to see that like, Oh, he like, he genuinely has a genetic propensity where he's not scared. Like he's not scared to build because in the United States, SpaceX is considered a weapons technology company because they use rocket boosters or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a fucking crazy industry to build in, dude. You're brushing up against the military. You're brushing up against yeah. the national intelligence organizations. Like, I don't think people understand how stressful that is on a daily basis. So, like, if you make one wrong step, your scapegoat to the government and like that doesn't end well. And he just like breezes through it. Like it doesn't seem to bother him at all. So to your point, it's like, there's no, unless this like ion thruster thing comes through, that's actually pretty fucking cool technology development. But that w- what they've done so far, like you said, is like, they're really just combining things that have largely already existed. They're making them way better. They're, they're, uh, you know, uh, the innovations that they made in manufacturing and putting it all together. And I mean, props to, to like bringing in designers and making it beautiful and making it work really well and focusing on the right things. Um, but also just like the fucking balls to do, to do, yeah. to do what no, he's that's, that's doing it. is like, yeah. that, that to me is like the main factor. It's like, there's, I'm sure there are thousands of people in the world who are as smart or smarter than he is and who have, like if they were given all the resources that he had and there was no roadblocks, they could probably accomplish very similar things, but it's the roadblocks, which is impressive that he like just doesn't care. And he's like, nah, nah you know, yeah. I know it's, it's like, it sounds dumb to build a car company, but uh, I'm just going to do it anyways. Yeah. So I actually think like not to fanboy Elon, I actually don't think he's like that smart, right? Like I don't think he's a Da Vinci or like a no. Newton or like yeah, a I agree. Tesla. I, th- I think, I think he's like, he's like a, intelligent person given where we are in, in the history of humanity I, I think he's capable I, I also think like if everybody was like him like every fortune 500 ceo was like him it would be it would not necessarily be a good thing but i, if, <laughs> I think if if, chaos. if if it was like nah i don't really give a shit uh, but i think if a larger percentage 
were like him, I, I think it would be a good thing. And, I, and so I appreciate his ability to just exactly, as you mentioned, like not give a damn where he's like, I'm going to build this like, you know, electric car company. Yeah. And I'm going to now focus on like, I mean, even Solar City, right? Like he was at one point doing SpaceX, Solar City, and doing Tesla at the same time. And he's like, yeah, we're trying to build these roof tiles. Yeah, we're doing like battery storage. Now we're working with like on the grid. Like all of these things that require you to look at challenges and risks and be like, but like, I mean, of course I have to address that. Like the way he talks about the car industry and how outdated, like, burning dinosaurs is which is by the way my favorite way of referring to gasoline like burning dinosaurs <laughs> is uh i, I, I think is i think it is really really it's apt it's appropriate he's just like why would i still ride the horse and buggy like you make no sense to me and so for his like nonchalance and like not giving a damn i really that's the thing i value i actually don't think he's like a super genius at all i, I just think he's a guy who's just like able to lead forward you know lean into it and and lead us forward in in a lot of domains just because as you said he's just like tesla's price is too high and i can just imagine some guys like sitting at home he's like no like what oh dude that happened no that happened there was a tweet from a tesla employee that's like dude (laughs) it's like literally my Tesla stock options vested today and you fucked me hard, man. You fucked me so hard. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, that's not like you're focusing on the wrong, like, you're putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Like yeah. that's not, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. dude, what are you talking about? Like that's it's not also, what you should be focused on. But it's also like kind of genius. Like if you look at the Tesla trading volume, a lot of that is driven by the fact that like he just attracts so much attention to what they're doing by being such a character. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So, I want to I want to wrap up there but I think we made um like a fourth a fourth point which I think I don't know if you noticed that you mentioned but 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 to the point of the question we asked in the beginning is like innovation focused on the right thing or is innovation doing enough I think the fourth point is this structure of like fiduciary duty that we've built where the mm-hmm. biggest and most powerful corporations that used to drive forward R&D. I mean, you think Bell Labs, AT&T, right? Like they, those used to be the powerhouses of innovation that were driving forward. And um, over the years, I think that R&D has faded and faded and faded. And now, you know, a, a CEO, and that's the thing is like, we're joking around about him making that tweet. Right? And the only reason that that's funny is because we live in a world where everyone implicitly understands the fiduciary duty of a CEO, which is like, you can't yep. talk about the stock on Twitter, right? Like you have a duty to your shareholders to make that company as valuable as possible, right? And it's really right. only the CEOs who are like, nah, fuck that. Like Jeff Bezos does it as well. He's like, nah, we're never going to pay a dividend. And like, I don't really care about the stock price. Like if you don't like Amazon stock price, then don't buy our stock, right? And he just doesn't care. Yeah. Um, and Elon the same. And then you have other companies which the CEO just doesn't have the balls to do that. So like the best example that comes to mind is like Mark Zuckerberg. Like he's just a huge pussy and he doesn't have the balls to stand up to his board or his stakeholders and say like, Hey, I don't actually care how profitable Facebook is. And I don't care how much the stock grows. Like we want to do this and this and this, and we want to, you know, have this impact on the world or whatever it is. It's like, he just doesn't have the balls to do it. And he never does. Right. Like he is a complete 
shell for the profitability of Facebook, right? And, like, he doesn't even do a good job of hiding that. So I think, like, so to sum up, like, to our question, which we asked in the beginning, which is, is innovation doing enough? I think the question evolved a bit about, I think we just came to the conclusion that, you know, innovation is really not making our lives as good as they could be. And scientific innovation seems to have slowed down a lot. And I think kind of the four points we made, which, um, yeah, I mean, to me, I think are all part of the equation is one is like the internet has, has made us really dumb. So like, it's hard to push new, um, and controversial ideas forward because the internet has, has created an environment where like the resistance assembles against the idea so quickly and so powerfully. Um, the yeah, second, so on that note, I, I yeah. think on that one is that giving information without directionality is, is not an efficient way to get a, a, a species to be more advanced, especially humanity. Yeah. Right. It's like, that's why I think the internet quote unquote making us dumb. I don't know. It, it The internet gave us a lot of data and we decided to pick the dumb parts of it. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, the point I was like is the, the internet has given us access to unlimited information, which means that no one really has to ever have their beliefs challenged. Like you can find support yeah, exactly. for any, any belief, like any, there, literally any belief in the whole world. I guarantee you can find support for it on the internet, like no matter how fringe it is. So that was number one. Yeah, absolutely. Number two was just to underline, this is where you know, we talked about the, the hairdresser lady is like, you know, an underlying mistrust of the institutions. And again, for good reason, right? Because you know, the public has been misled nefariously many, many times by quote unquote scientists or institutions or whatever it is. And so I think, and, and this is especially true, I think in conservative states, like one of the, th- one of the tenets of conservatives seeming so less, so much less progressive than liberal states, I think, is they have so much more of a mistrust of the institutions, right? Because a lot of the populations in conservative states were much more adversely affected by the lies, right? I mean, take go back to the sugar lie, right? Conservative states Mm -hmm. were massively, massively disproportionately affected by the sugar lobby and the campaign. Like if you look at cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, everything, conservative states crush liberal states, especially liberal states that have big cities. Like urban populations are generally much more healthy, but just the general mistrust of the institution. So that was number two. Um, Number three was that it's just dangerous, which I think um, I personally think is probably one of the most powerful. It's probably the least it's the least specific, but I think it's probably the most powerful, which is like humanity in general, both, you know, historians, scientists, researchers, institutions, citizens, we all sort of implicitly understand that like innovation is super dangerous and that it is amoral by definition and everything that we invent can be used for good and bad. And we've seen how bad that can go. Um, and then in the last, you know, couple of minutes, I think we identified um, two more. One is, you know, fiduciary duty. So the fact that the the engine that drove forward innovation in the private market, so the engine of innovation in capitalism is private companies. And we've created this fiduciary duty to stakeholders, to shareholders specifically, not stakeholders, to shareholders specifically, 
to grow the company, to make it as profitable as possible, et cetera. And one of the easiest ways to do that in the short term is to stop spending money on R and D, right. And to shore up the P and L to find ways to continue, you know, it, it, it really encourages monopoly building as opposed to driving forward innovation. Um, it, 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 prioritizes micro optimizing and value creation outside of pure innovation in R&D. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true too, because of the short time period was like quarter on quarter, I have to post earnings and I need to show growth. Stock's going to tank and I'm going to lose my job. Right. Which is tough. It's like, that's not how innovate. That's not how R&D works. It's like R&D is super nonlinear and it's really long-term. Um, yeah, and then I guess like I wrote down one more, which is kind of bipartisanship. So I think it's a point that you've said multiple times, is like um, linear progression. So I think that, and this is where, so for all the conspiracy theorists, I think this is where to me the conspiracy of like there's a cabal of of you know terrible people who want to keep us from making the world better, which like I, I mean. Like I like to indulge and think that that's true sometimes because it like it's motivating. Be like, fuck these people, we're gonna overthrow <laughs> yeah. the institutions. Um, it's I just like the concept of they don't want you to succeed, and then you're like, yeah, who's exactly. they? Like you know exactly how how true it is. I don't know. I think like most of the things that people assign to conspiracy is really just like collective ignorance. Like I think everyone's just really stupid and whatever. But I think to your point about like linear progression. So I think bipartisanship has become a big issue. And this is where you can kind of plug in that like, oh, there's powers that be that make everything bipartisan. So it's like very polarizing. And the reality is it's like we take objective facts. So we can go back to climate change, right? Like we take objective facts like climate change. And if you really think about it, like it's supposed to be an objective data point like it's supposed to be a realization so like hey guys we've got scientists who you know have no agenda and you know caveat asterisk like let's not to veer back into the mistrust of the institution but let's assume that these um scientists they don't have an agenda right they're environmental scientists or whatever they're like hey guys climate change is like a real thing like here's the facts it makes sense and we've done a lot of peer-researched peer-reviewed research to show that, like, this is actually happening, like, the Earth is heating up, and then we've built models to show, like, you know, this is possibly what could happen, and it doesn't look that good. Pretty objective fact, right? And Mm -hmm. it's presented in a way where it's like, hey, guys, you know, like, we're all living in this planet, and, like, we're not really treating it that well. We should probably invest money to, like, treat it a little better. And you would think uh, that it was just as easy as like, oh yeah, all right, well that sounds good. Like let's definitely invest in making things better. Um, but instead it's like fake news. What are you talking about? That's definitely not real. And it turns into this bipartisan issue where what's crazy about how deep rooted the bipartisanship has become, especially in the United States is take a topic, climate change. Right. And I'll ask you, and like, it's, it's so easy. It's like, what does a conservative think about climate change? I mean, it's it's the mistrust of the science, right? Like yeah, it's, it's like it's I, not real, right? It, like nah. it, it's not. 
It's like no, it's it's not real because they see it as a as a agenda based issue. Yeah, and then um, the same thing is like, what does a liberal think about climate change? Is they're like, well, they think that it's so real, and that the people who don't believe it's real shouldn't get to vote, and that they should protest in the streets, and they should throw a tantrum or whatever it is. And so, the point there is not to stereotype anyone based on their beliefs, but it's more so to show how easy it is for all of us to identify stereotypically which side of the political system, what what each Mm -hmm. side thinks about a specific issue, where it's like abortion, conservatives, right? Pro-life, right? Liberals, pro-choice. Easy, right? That's the stigma, right? And everybody knows that. And is it true? Stereotypically, yes. Is it true in reality? No, of course not. Every individual human is super, super nuanced in their specific beliefs, but we've we've allowed ourselves to live in this world where every objective issue has become bipartisan. So the climate change one is kind of like, you know, imagine you're standing in the front yard with your fam and it's like, hey, the fucking house is on fire. And it's like, we're all looking at the house and everyone's like, yep, it's on fire. And then another family member comes up and he's like, are you sure? And instead yeah. of like calling the fire department, he's like, I don't know. It sounds like, uh, I don't know, guys. Like, uh, you know, how do you know the house is on fire? Are you a fire expert? And it's like, nah, but I can see that the house is on fire. And then nothing happens. So it's a, to the linear yeah. progression point, I think it's like, instead of being like, okay, that makes enough sense. And also the stakes are pretty fucking low for us to make the economy more green. That's what I don't understand is like, what are you fighting against? So, I mean, to the point where it's like the house is on fire. It's like, well, let's be safe and call the fire department. Cause if they show up and you're right, the house isn't on fire, they'll just leave. There's literally no consequences. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, but at that point, at that point, it's just about being wedded to your, no, that's what I'm saying. About, right? Like, yeah, it's just being about what is your, it, but well, my favorite part about that is I think of it, it's like, well, are you on fire? And it's yeah, like, no, no, I got out of there. Well, how do you know it's a fire then? Yeah, exactly. No, it's like, are you a fire expert? It's like, no, but I can see <laughs> the house is on fire. And so it's like, are you a climate expert? It's like, nah, but I like, I've looked at the data and they're like, yeah, but I just don't believe that. And it's like, all right, well, even if you don't believe it's true, how would your life be adversely affected to your electricity coming from renewable energy sources? <laughs> They're like, well, my great grandfather was a coal miner. So, you know, ipso facto, I am against sustainable energy. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? Um, but the irony that, there, the, you know, there's the irony in that is. If you could ask the grandfather, like, hey, man, do you want to instead build, like, windmills and not suffer, like, this terrible cause? Yes, I'm like, pretty sure back then me? the grandfather was like, yeah, <laughs> fuck yes. yes. What? The, yeah, fuck yeah. Is this an option? <laughs> How the fuck did I not know about this other option? And, it's and like, like, now the asshole grandson is, like, is like yes. standing at town hall, like, no, don't shut down our coal mines. This is like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. No, but you're right. Then it doesn't become about the idea at all. It becomes about something beyond well, that. Well, you know, it becomes, and that's the thing is like, I think bipartisanship isn't the right word. It's like identity politics, right? Where it's like, well, oh, but it's part of my identity that I don't believe in climate change. So even if 
making the world more sustainable wouldn't adversely affect my life. It would affect my reputation for me to have to say like, meh, I changed my mind. The house is on fire. (laughs) You should definitely call the fire department. Um, Well, awesome, man. I think we should wrap up there. I mean, I I feel like that came together well. Um, I think so too. Uh, I I think the one thing that I will, the one thing I will say before we officially, officially wrap up is I, I fundamentally believe that innovation is the only way for an advanced country like the United States to secure sustainably, uh, you know, sustainable productivity growth. And without it, like, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be like a slow roll down to reality. For sure. Um, no, I agree with that. I mean, I think the takeaway here, the like call to action is, you know, I think uh, that we have to continue pushing forward innovation, but across the entire spectrum, like we need to get away from this myopic view of venture capital and innovation to be like the next Uber, the next Airbnb, like the next thing and be like, yeah, but like, what about the people who are going to build the next manufacturing plants or the next uh, research labs or the next that like really broadening the spectrum of what we consider innovation to not just tech, but to everything. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Which I think is great. And I think like paints, like to me, that is a very hopeful message for the United States to say like, Hey, we've gotten ourselves like, you know, I think subjectively, I would say objectively, but that's subjective, um, is like, we've really gotten ourselves into a pickle. Um, and COVID has like really pulled the rug out from under us and been like, yeah, like a lot of the things you've done over the last 20 years are probably not super smart for the sustainability and the strength of the country. But I think what, what gives me hope is like, uh, I think Americans have, the ability, the tenacity, the intelligence, the creativity to rebuild something. And now instead of spending our time, you know, making glasses that open beer bottles um, and, you know, whatever else, we can start to refocus some of that on saying like, how do we build, how do we rebuild and improve um, and restructure like the underlying tenants of the economy, which is manufacturing and like really labor. Like how do we create great jobs for people where we're building things, right? We're making things that make people's lives better. Um, And we have kind of end to end involvement in the supply chain and there's great jobs for people and we're driving forward productivity uh, across the board, not just in tech. Like we're not just focused on productivity on like how fast can I get McDonald's delivered to my house, but productivity on like, yeah, how much more productively could we manufacture cars? How much more productively could we teach students? How much more productively could we operate the government? Like, that's a huge fucking one, right? Like, what a fucking waste. Yeah. No. So, yeah, I think that's a great call to action to, um, to end it on. Um, oh, cool, man. This is great. All right, that's it. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing and following us for more episodes. One final note, the music today was provided by one of my favorite artists, Home.